So we are in Ephesians chapter number 2, and we will uh, look at verse number 11 through verse number 13. This is where Paul is talking about uh, Christ uniting the Jews and the Gentiles. In verse 11, he says, Wherefore remember that ye, talking to uh, the Gentiles, that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, speaking of the Jews, in the flesh that was made by hands. And that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, and having no hope and without God in the world. <clears throat> then in verse 13 he said, But now it's changed. In Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes were afar off, are made nigh or close by the blood of Christ. So in verse number 11, when he's talking about circumcision, uh, that was the uh, symbol of the covenant that was between God and Abraham that was symbolized through uh, the surgery of circumcision, and that symbolized the contract. So when a person went through that procedure, it was like them signing the contract and becoming in that covenant uh, with God. And it says that in verse 12 that uh, the Gentiles were strangers. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers of that covenant of promise and had no hope. They were without God. But now, since Christ died on the cross, that all has changed. Sometimes we're far off, but now made nigh by the blood of Christ. And if you'll remember last time, we talked about how that the Jews' world was kind of turned upside down. Everything they believed, everything that they did, uh, their whole religious practice had, was done away with. It was gone. And so now, not only do they have to... Um, accept Gentiles into their religion, into the body of Christ, their belief system also has to change. And so this was a uh, turning point. This was a transition uh, for the Jews. So they had a lot of things that they were having to absorb. <clears throat> then if we look in verse number 14 down through verse number 18, Paul says, for he, speaking of Jesus Christ, is our peace, who hath made us both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So what was that middle wall of partition? That was the thing that separated them. So what separated the Jews from the Gentiles? Because before there was enmity, there was hatred uh, between the two. But now he said, for he is our peace. So Christ has brought peace between the Jews and the Gentiles and brought them into one. So that middle wall of partition, the thing that separated the Jews and the Gentiles was the covenant law. So the law forbid anybody from entering the temple unless they were a Jew. The Gentiles had a Gentile court and there was a wall that separated the Gentile court from the Jewish court. And there were signs up that told the Gentiles that they couldn't go any further. If they did, they would be put to death. So they had 
uh, people standing guard. And if a Gentile went past a certain point in the garden of the temple, they would immediately be killed. And there were signs warning them of that. So a Gentile could come into the court. They could present their sacrifices, but there was only so far that they could go. But Paul here says that Jesus Christ is the peace, that he's broken down that middle wall of partition. And then if there was any question about what that middle wall of partition was, Paul goes on into verse number 15 and uh, defines what that is. In verse 15, having abolished, talking about Jesus Christ, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, and that word enmity is hatred and hostility, and that word abolish means to destroy and to do away with. So Christ has de completely destroyed the, the middle wall of partition, the thing that separated us. And he's completely uh, abolished the enmity or the hatred. And listen to what he says next. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain, being two, one new man, so making peace. So really what Paul's doing here is he's not only speaking to the uh, Jews, uh, I mean, not only speaking to the Gentiles, but he's also speaking to the Jews when he said, look, the commandments of the law have been completely abol abolished. They've been done away with. They are no more. So... So what is that ceremonial law? That was things like animal sacrifices, keeping the Sabbath, uh, circumcision, all those things, only eating certain foods, all those things were completely done away with. Now, a lot of those things, um, Orthodox Jews still keep even today. But <clears throat> Paul said that Jesus Christ did away with all that. So it was all done away with and all... Uh, gone. And then in verse 16, he says, and that he might reconcile both. Who's he talking about both? Both Jews and Gentiles. That he, Jesus Christ, might reconcile both Jews and Gentiles unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity or the hatred and the separation thereby. So we have now become one. Now you talk about a transition. For a Jew to now not only have to accept Gentiles, but then realize that they're going to be in heaven together and that there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, that was a huge transition. That was, that was not some simple little thing. That was a complete and total lifestyle change. Because before, if you look through the Bible... Uh, before Jesus Christ, Gentiles were known as dirty. They were known uncircumcised. They were called dogs. They, they, they were outcasts. You, you weren't allowed to intermarry. You weren't allowed to even really associate with Gentiles except for at a distance. Uh, so this was a, was a huge transition. So the Apostle Paul mainly is speaking to the Gentiles and helping them understand, but he's also speaking to the Jews and letting both sides see that there can be no more hatred, there can be no more division because we're all one body in Christ Jesus. So 17, verse 17, it says, and, and came, talking about Jesus, he came and preached peace unto you which were afar off. So remember, Paul was a Jew. 
So when he says that Jesus Christ came and preached peace unto you, which were afar off, he's saying you Gentiles. And then he goes on to say, uh, and to them that are nigh. So Jesus preached peace, not just to the, to the Gentiles, but to the Jews as well. So the, the message of Christ was, a, I mean, his life and his sacrifice was, was that of love. But what he did was he preached peace and he brought the two groups together. Verse number 18, it says, For through him we both, us Jews and Gentiles, Paul is saying, both of us now have access by one spirit unto the Father. And there's only one mediator between God and man. That's the man, Jesus Christ. And not only that, but he, see, the, the great thing about this is he says, we have access to God the Father. There's no more need for the priests. There's no more need for an intercessor. There's no more need for animal sacrifices. Even those things, there's religions today that, that, that the priests act as an intercession between uh, the people and God. All that was done away with because Paul said we have access directly into the throne of God. We have access to God himself, to God the Father, through and by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then in verse number 19, I love it uh, how that uh, Paul writes uh, and he says, Now, therefore. So anytime you see the word therefore or wherefore, kind of what they mean is because of these things we just talked about, I'm going to give you something else. So Paul just spent several verses talking about how that Jews and Gentiles, the separation has gone away. The law has gone away. The commandments have gone away. The ordinances have gone away. And we're one body. We're one in one spirit. We've been brought together by the blood of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but when you look at all that, you look at how many times he used uh, the number one. In verse 14, he said that he had made both one. In verse 15, he said one new man. In verse 16, he said, brought together in one body. And verse 18, he says, by one spirit, which is the Holy Spirit of God. That if there was any doubt as to what the Apostle Paul was trying to say, he's trying to say, we're all in this thing together. There's only one church. There's not a, I mean, we have today a lot of different denominations. But there's not different churches. There's only one church. Either, either you're saved or you're lost. And if you're saved, it doesn't matter what church you attend. It doesn't matter what the name says on the door. You're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the church of the Almighty God. And he says, now because of this, that, that we're all one. We're through one spirit. And in verse number 19, he says, now, therefore. So because of all this, he said, you are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints. So all that, all that stuff before, he said, that's all gone. Now you were on the outside looking in. Now you're part of the, the family of God. He said, now, therefore, because of all these things, you Gentiles are no more strangers, but fellow citizens. Now, when we look at the, the things that, uh, Paul has said in this chapter, this 
the theme of this chapter, and we've talked about it before, is that uh, we're in this thing together, that there's no more separation. The entire chapter number two of Ephesians, uh, Paul is saying that, that the Jews, I mean, the Gentiles are no longer on the outside looking in. So look at how many times Paul used words that, uh, I mean, we, we looked at how many times he used the word one, but let's look at how many times in this chapter that he used phrases that eliminates the separation. In verse four, he said, he loved us, meaning Jews and Gentiles. In verse number five, he said, we were dead and he quickened us together. In verse six, he says that he raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places. And you understand from a Jew standpoint, when Paul tells a Jew that you're going to be in heaven sitting beside a Gentile, that, that, was a, that was a stretch for them. Okay, we have to understand. Now, here's, here's what we need to, to realize that even yet today, and, and here's something I thought about when I was reading this chapter. Do you realize that in World War II, one of the nations that we fought was Germany? Now, I am convinced that some of the soldiers that fought for the German army were probably born-again Christians. And they were shooting at American soldiers or other soldiers that were born-again Christians. Now, those people that fought on the battlefield and maybe killed each other are sitting in heaven side by side because they're both born-again Christians. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what side we're on. It doesn't matter what side of a political argument we're on. It doesn't matter what side of the world we live on. It doesn't matter our race, our gender, anything else. If you've been saved and born again, we're going to be setting together in heavenly places, irregardless of all that other stuff. You see, all those separation things, that's because we have a corrupted nature. And as humans, we look at people and we, we want to condemn and we want to see the differences. When Jesus, I mean, when God looks at us, he either sees the blood of Jesus Christ or he sees a sinner. That's, that's, the, only, that, that's the only two sides of the equation. But he said that he's made us set together. In verse number 7, he said, in his kindness toward Jews, no. In his kindness toward Gentiles, no. He said, in his kindness toward us. Verse number 10, we are his workmanship. We should walk in them. You see, doesn't that change the impact of these scriptures when you understand that Paul is not speaking to just, you know, Christians throughout, you know, throughout the, the, the uh, advent of time. He's saying, we, Jews and Gentiles, and that's even true still yet today. But boy, doesn't it, doesn't it create even more of a power to these verses when we think about it that way? Verse 14, he is our peace. Verse 16, reconciled both unto God. Verse 17, we both have access. And then in verse 19, he says, we are fellow citizens of the household of God. You talk about a stretch, folks. Now listen, fellow citizens, we got to understand the importance of that phrase. That means equal privileges. 
So if you're a citizen of the United States of America, you don't have more rights just because you have a job making good money. You don't have more rights than the unemployed person. You don't, a, a, a person of a, of a certain gender doesn't have more rights in this country than somebody else. Everybody has the same amount of rights because we're all citizens of this country. The rights are equal. And that's what Paul says here, that they're fellow citizens. They're equal privileges with the Jew and the Gentile. There's no difference between the two. Romans chapter 10, verse 12, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call on Him. There is no differences. So you can look at somebody else and you can see a difference. You can look at somebody else and say, well, they don't believe all the doctrine exactly like I do. And isn't it silly that we can... We can preach the same gospel of salvation as a church down the road. And because we disagree on one point of doctrine that doesn't have anything to do with salvation, we can view that church and, and, and that group of people as the enemy. Now, doctrine's important. I, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm not saying that what we believe and what we preach here at this church and what we teach is not important. It is important. But outside of salvation... Outside of the doctrine of the cross through and by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that's the only thing that determines if we're going to heaven or hell. What we believe, you know, there's, there's certain churches that believe that uh, if you want to become a member of the church, you have to be baptized as a member of the church. Now, are they going to hell because they believe that and here at this fellowship we don't? No. It's got nothing to do with whether or not they're going to heaven. So, you see, too many times we allow the devil to get us to be closed-minded and to get us to, sh to, to look at other people with differences, there is so many times that, that churches will not even allow their young people, their youth group, to go associate with a youth group of a different denomination because we don't want to corrupt our children. <laughs> I've heard that, and it's just insane. Either, either the church preaches the gospel of, of the shed blood of Jesus Christ or they don't. And if they do, we're going to be in heaven together. And we got we to gotta quit being so nitpicky about the things that don't really uh, have that much to do with eternity. So verse number 20. And so he not only says that we're fellow citizens with the saints. Now, who are the saints? Typically, when we hear the word saints, we think about... Um, those that are passed away and deceased. So what, what Paul is saying here, he's saying that we're no more strangers and that you're no more strangers than fellow citizens. Or I mean, no, you're no more strangers than foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So what he's telling the Gentiles is you're a fellow citizen with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon. All the great people of faith that have lived out through all eternity, you're fellow citizens with those folks. You see, when we get to heaven, I don't understand it. I really don't. I don't understand how God's going to see me. He, he loves me the same, and he's going he's to cherish me the same as he does Abraham. Now, I would think Abraham's a much greater man than me. I would think the apostle Paul was a much greater man than me. But when God looks at me, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. 
He doesn't see the Apostle Paul smarter and, and more knowledgeable than Terry Hommel. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. So then we see in verse number 20, and, so he goes on. He said, we're fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So what Paul is saying here is he said, is now he's, he's first of all, he's, he's used an example of the body, that we're all in one body. We're one body of Christ. Now he moves into a different analogy, and he starts talking about a building. And he says that we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So the apostles and the prophets were not Jewish apostles and Jewish prophets. They were God's apostles and God's prophets. So now Jews and Gentiles alike, we are built on that foundation that the apostles and the prophets brought because they spoke uh, the word of God by the will of God. Now, it says Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So this, this whole thing, everything that we do here at this church, everything that we believe, everything that we preach, this whole Bible, it's all founded on one thing. And that's Jesus Christ. Now, the apostles and the, the prophets, were they part of that foundation? Did they help lay that foundation? Yes. But Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. You see, if you're going to build a house, even when I built my deck on the back of my house, you don't start in the middle, you start on the corner. <laughs> you better get the corner right. If you don't get the corner square, the further you go out, the further you get off. If you want a square deck, you don't start in the middle. You don't put a post in the middle and go out. You better start at the corner. You don't, you, you go up, typically up, I went up against the house and got one corner. And then I measured one way and I measured the other way and made sure the distance was the same. And you have to get it square. And it's all dependent on the corner at where you start. So everything that we think, everything that we are, everything that we do has to be built on that chief cornerstone. He's the starting point. And if you're not square, the further you get away, the further you're going to be out in left field or out in right field. So Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And too many times we forget that. Too many times. I mean, that, that's why uh, when it talked about uh, a, a pastor, he said, not being a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he following the condemnation of the devil. Well, what that means is, is... If a, if a man starts to preach and then becomes a pastor too quickly, sometimes he can, especially if, if he starts pastoring a church or whatever and it's really successful to start with and it really grows, the, the, the challenge is, is sometimes, and I've seen it, that man can stop depending on God and think that he's the one that did all that. And even that can happen even to a seasoned pastor as well. So we have to remember, anything that happens great here at Vickers Chapel, we love our pastor and we depend on him and he's a great man of God. But we got to remember, it's not the pastor that's here. Because you know something? This church existed, I love you brother Gary, it existed long before you got here. This ministry was here before you got here. And it was here before most 
us got here? And why, why has it stood throughout the ages and probably had many really good men of God, many good pastors? And the reason why is because it's not founded on a man. It's founded on the man, Jesus Christ. It's founded on him. And if it's founded on him, it'll last. And it'll, it'll, it'll survive and it'll keep going on. But it has to be... Now, here's the thing. And he said it's built on the foundation of the apostles and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, in verse number 21, it starts to get real. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> Now remember, Peter was writing mainly to the Gentiles. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he was writing mainly to the Gentiles. And he said in verse number 4, To whom coming, talking about Jesus Christ, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. See, Jesus Christ said that he came to his own, his own received him not. The Jews rejected him. And even still today, many people reject him. And, it, and it's still true today, disallowed of men, that's, that's still happening today. It didn't just happen once. It's happening still today. But he was chosen of God and precious. And it says, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Then he jumps down in verse number 9 and says, you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should sow forth praises of him who hath called you out of darkness in his marvelous light. Now here's proof that he was speaking to Gentiles in 1 Peter. In verse number 10, he says, which in time past were not a people. Same thing Paul said here. You were foreigners. You were outcast. You were on the outside looking in. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, he said, In time past you were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Isn't it great that when you read Peter and when you read Ephesians that Paul wrote, they're both saying the exact same thing. He said, you Gentiles, you didn't used to be a people, but now you're fellow citizens. You used to be on the out, used to be far off. Now you're made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's enough to get a person excited. Now, verse number 21, this is where it really starts getting real. Paul said, in whom, in whom who? In Jesus Christ. Now, so this is, this is really what Paul's saying. Jesus Christ not only is the chief cornerstone, but he's the one building this house. So I want you to think of that. He's the carpenter. He's the person with the hammer and the nails and the saw. He's putting this thing together. He says, in whom, in Jesus Christ, all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. Now, there is so much that's in this verse right here. First of all, he said, all the building. Now, this building is composed of converted Jews and converted Gentiles. The body of Christ today, the church of the living God today, is composed of Jews and Gentiles. There, there are Jews that have, that have believed and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's Gentiles that have had faith and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jew or Gentile has to come the same way. 
Yes, the Jews were, the, were, were God's chosen people, but that doesn't mean that they don't have to accept the Lord Jesus Christ and ask forgiveness of their sins and come to Him. It's through and by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, Jew or Gentile. It all works the same. So we're all in this thing together. Now, this is the phrase that really gets me excited. He said, fitly framed together. Now that word fitly means properly joined together as one. No separation, no differences. So this is, this is what you need to think about. Jesus Christ is putting this thing together and he's putting it together properly. It's fitly joined together. It's fitly framed. Now what in the world does that mean? What it means is we're not all a two before. It takes two befores, it takes two besixes, it takes sheetrock, it takes electrical, it takes a whole lot to build a house. If all you had was two befores, you'd have a pretty messed up looking house. If all you had was electrical wires, nothing would work. How, how are you going to run electrical wires if you don't have a two before wall? You got to have a concrete slab. You, got, you see, you got to have all different things. And think about this. Here's the way it used to be. It used to be... <clears throat> That here I was going to build my house, and Brother John back there, he had a sawmill on the Virginia side. And I was buying all my lumber exclusively from John. Nobody else. But at some point, John decided that he doesn't, he doesn't really want to supply all my lumber anymore. He's going to have other customers. So what did I do? Well, I started looking around, and I found another supplier, Brother Gary over here. Now, he's got a sawmill over on the Tennessee side. So I buy some of my lumber from John. I buy some of my lumber for Gary. So it doesn't matter if I buy it on the Jewish side or if I get it on the Gentile side. It all comes in. And it, nobody knows. Once the house is done, nobody knows which two before was a Jew and which two before was a Gentile. Because he put it together. And at the end, you got a house that's built correctly and it's framed right. And nobody cares where the boards come from. Now, not only that, but did you know that you don't throw out stuff just because it's damaged? You get an order of sheetrock delivered. And it got delivered on the truck and the forklift driver, the end of the forklift caught the end of that sheetrock and messed up a five or six sheets of sheetrock. You throw those sheetrock away... No, you don't throw that sheetrock away. You want to know why? Because sometimes you're going to get in a corner and you don't need a full sheet of sheetrock. So what do you do? You take that damaged part of that sheetrock and you cut it off because the rest of that sheetrock's really, really good. You don't throw that sheetrock away. You don't say, I can't use that. You see, Jesus Christ, he looks at me and he says, Terry, you got, you, you got issues. You got problems. There's parts of you that's messed up. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put you in my family. I'm going to put you in my church where I can use the good things that you bring to the table and I'll just cut them bad things out. And I, I don't need that. I'll just cut that off. You know, you can take a warp two before and use it building the house. You absolutely can. You, sometimes when you're lifting up that wall, you need to build. You need to build a frame to hold that wall up till you secure it good. That's a good use for a warp two before. How many of you are warp two befores? And ain't you glad that God didn't throw the warp two befores out? Sometimes you need a good warp two before. You don't want to use your best two before to prop up the wall. That's what that warped one's for. 
something, and not only that, but you can take that. Sometimes you don't need a six foot two before. Sometimes you don't need a four foot piece to frame that door and part of that two before straight. You're going to cut that warped piece off. You need, you see, God needs all of us in his church. He needs all of us in his body. And we get too bent up about, oh, that piece of sheetrock's got a messed up place. That's a warped two before. It takes warped two before. It takes some messed up sheetrock. It's all, God putting this thing together. And it's fitly joined together. When he does it, it's going to be done right. And when we, listen, nobody's going to ever come into that house and say, you know something? I believe they might be. I believe that might be that piece of sheetrock that had that ripped up end. Nobody's going to know where that piece of sheetrock is. You see, when we all get into heaven, no, we're not going to be sitting around going, yeah, Chad, I remember your mistakes. You was that you was that warped to before. Brother Gary, I remember you was that piece of sheetrock and had a corner missing off of it. It's that, Jesus Christ is building this thing and he's building it right and he knows where every one of us needs to be. He knows how he can use us. Do you know something? When I built my deck, I want to tell you something. When I built my deck, <clears throat> I got a bunch of boards and some of them boards was straight when I got them. But after they sat outside for a couple of days before I could put the screws in them and lay it down, I went out there and that thing was warped. Did I take it back to Lowe's and say, I need another one? No, let me tell you what I done. I put, that, I put that board down there and I put screws in one end and then when I got up to the other end, I took me a big stick and I put it down there against that uh, a brace and I pulled that, t I pulled that board back straight and ran me a screw in it real quick. I straightened that sucker out. I've got a whole bunch of warped boards on my deck right now. And you look at them, you say, there ain't a warped board in here. Every one of them straight as an arrow. They are now because I straightened them. You know what God does when you're a little warped? He'll take a stick and he'll pry you back straight. And he'll run a screw in it real quick and hold you right there. That's exactly what he does. He fitly framed it together. I had a man tell me one time that he ordered a bunch of rock. He was building a stone wall. And he said, he, he said, I love it. He said, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. He had a whole bunch of these flat rocks delivered. And he said, you have to go over and you have to find one. And you put it in there. And if it don't fit right, you set it aside and you go get another one. And he built a whole wall out in front of his house out of these flat rocks that he had to piece together like a jigsaw puzzle. Well, what if he just piled them up any old way. Why well, it wouldn't stand, it'd fall down. But because it was fitly joined together, because it was put together right, it's going to stand. Not only that, he said it was fitly framed together. He said it groweth. It groweth to a holy temple. Jesus said, I'm not done. You know something? I'm going to place another order. <laughs> he says, this ain't all the wood I'm going to use. I'm going to, I'm going to keep adding some more to this house. And then so he's building this thing. And you know something? Before Jesus Christ comes back, there's going to be more people get saved. There's going to be somebody get saved somewhere in the world today. I believe that. I believe somebody's getting saved right now somewhere in the world. And this thing's growing and it's getting bigger and it's, and it's continuing to grow. And it's growing into a holy temple. Jesus is putting everything in place. And when it gets done, it's going to be holy. You say, how in the world? Look around this room. Look at all these warped boards in here. How in the world God going to take all of us and make something holy? I don't know. He's the carpenter. I'm just a warped board. He's going to put it together. And when we get to heaven, we're going to step back and say, how in the world did God use all of us to build this? <laughs> how in the world did we become joint heirs with Christ? How did this happen? We don't know because we wasn't a carpenter. We're just the warped boards.
that he used. Now, not only that, but he goes on to say that we're a holy temple in the Lord. <laughs> That's why we're holy. It's because of him, not because of us. Now, verse 22, and we'll wrap up the chapter. In whom? In whom who? Jesus Christ. In whom ye also. He's talking, he said, you Jews also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So what Paul's saying, in case you thought I was just talking to the Jews, <laughs> he said, you also are builded together for a habitation. What does habitation mean? Place to live. So he said, you Jews, I mean, he said, you Gentiles are also builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. What's he talking about? What's he talking about when he says, you Gentiles are a habitation of God through the Spirit? Well, he's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. He said the Holy Spirit of God's not just going to live in the hearts and the souls of the Jews. He said he's going to live in the hearts and the souls of you Gentiles too. We got equal access. This thing's fitly framed together. There's no separation. We're builded together. We're a habitation of God. What is that? That's a dwelling place. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Paul said, what? Question mark. He goes, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. That's exactly what he's talking about here in verse number 22. He said, he built us to literally inhabit the spirit of Almighty God. We're fitly framed together. We're all in this thing together. We're, listen, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, but I'm trying to do what, what God put me in this thing to do. He... He didn't tell me to hold up the roof. He said, Terry, I'm putting you in the wall over here. I need you to hold up this wall and hold this sheetrock. Don't let it fall down. That's what I'm trying to do. It's somebody else's job to hold up the roof. It's somebody else's job to keep the rain out with the shingles on the top. It, you see, it takes, all, it takes all of us to make this thing work. We're in this thing together. And as long as we do what God needs us to do, people will be able to step back and say, Man, look at what God did. All right, so that wraps up chapter 2. We will jump into chapter 3 next week.